look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. How about you? I'm doing very well. I know you are doing. I just very came well. back from a trip. Are you ready for the place? Yes. Ottawa. I know you look ten years younger than sixty. Nice. That's older than I am right now. That's the best compliment you've given me all week. I've been working on that one. All fantastic. Week. <laughs> I, I'm touched. I'm, 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 I'm going to cry right now. It's fantastic. Thank you, buddy. Come back refreshed and all. Full of uh, you vinegar. Know, <laughs> coming back and, and just hearing the sentiment in Ottawa, talking to some politicians, talking to some friends, business owners out there. Um, holy, it's a big difference. Yeah, I bet. I'll tell you one thing. Albertans, be happy you're Albertans and that you look optimistic when it comes to the economy, how you look at the world. It's a completely different viewpoint in Ottawa. I'll tell you right, right now. right, eh? They are, this they are scared. Yeah. They are scared. Really? The pandemic, yeah. second wave, shutdown, hmm. money being like spent. Worse, worse than what we would experience here. Just the sentiment alone. Okay. Here you're going to get a tone of, oh no, we're in trouble, but we're going to figure something out. Right. Generally speaking in the, in the population. There it's, we can't leave our homes, Faisal. Oh, is that right? Eh? We've got to shut down this economy again. The government hasn't been able to pay their employees because of a pay system problem. This is a big problem now. And their their real estate prices have been going up yes, in they Ottawa. Absolutely. They've been hitting records there. And they're saying that's only because the government's been hiring more people, Faisal. So it's very interesting hmm. contrast, Ottawa to Calgary. Yeah. And so Calgarians, be happy. You've got you've got a bit different view and it's i think it's a more realistic view than what i see in ottawa well and here's what you can be happy about whether you live in alberta or ottawa um we uh, from an investment perspective we can analyze global economies yes and we can put our money anywhere in any asset class to do anything that we want by a click of a button by the click of a button and so we're going to try to make some sense of listen there's lots of fear out there for the pandemic because of the upcoming election a whole bunch of stuff and we're going to talk about that over the next couple of segments um <clears throat> Excuse me, and, and we'll get to that in, in just a minute. But let's talk a little bit about the environment, okay? okay. And I want to talk about you don't mean expectations. Like, you don't mean like the environment, the environment. No, no, I'm sorry, the, uh, the investment environment. Okay. I mean, I guess we talk about the environment through the investments too. But I want to talk about what people can expect going forward. Okay. I want to talk about people's experience this year because it's been a crazy year. Mm -hmm. You know, I always talk about two superpowers people have, investors have. Structure and discipline, hey right? And when you apply your superpower mm -hmm. to your two friends called volatility and time, right, you can have a winning combination. And this year presented that opportunity, right? So if you took those superpowers and you applied it to the year, we've had a very good year. Here's what I'm surprised about, because I've had about 10 different phone calls from listeners of our show. Yeah. And... They reached out to me saying, here's my portfolio, Faisal. I'm actually in negative territory. I've lost money this year. Right. What do I do? And I'm shocked. Right. Dave, we are up double-digit return year-to-date in our portfolio in the growth bucket this year. Yeah. And I don't understand how a money manager, how a advisor who has 
by the click of the button can move money anywhere right. is losing money in 2020. Right. I understand the economics and the pandemic. Well, that, yeah. But the markets didn't do that. Right. The investments that you can select didn't do that. Right. So I'm shocked that there are a lot of advisors, a lot of portfolio managers, and a lot of individual investors, do-it-yourself investors, that just sat there right. and did nothing. Ah, that's the, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. That is a huge problem. Right. That's, that's a way of having permanent capital destruction. Right. Yep. Or, or the panic, go to cash, right? All, all of these things um, create, create significant potential challenges. And this year, and, and I want to go back to those two things that I just talked about, volatility, right? When, when people hear volatility, they get scared. Yeah. And I don't mean to diminish the impact of watching things bounce around that it has on people emotionally. I don't. I, I, I get that that can affect people negatively. But if, you, if as an investor you embrace the idea that volatility is your friend, mm-hmm. well, it's certainly the friend. It would be your friend if you understand the value, right? The intrinsic value of the things you, either that you own or that you want to buy. Yes. Because you can shop, right? You can shop when volatility hits. That's right. Then there's this other aspect called time. Now, how quickly do we capitalize on that is a variable that we need to ensure that we're planning for, right? But years where there's volatility and there's uncertainty, those are the best periods to make money. This is one year that our clients have said, Faisal, now I understand why you love volatility in the market. When everything's going straight up, it's boring. But, more, but it's, it's also unrealistic. Right. When there's volatility, and I'm speaking volatility to the downside, mm-hmm. oh, I love it. Absolutely. It's fun. Yeah. And the reason why it's fun is because I get to see what is, what's going on in, in the markets, especially when it comes to stocks and individual companies, right. and how people will sell them, sell good companies, good management, good fundamentals in the right po- uh, time of their yep. of the business cycle and just say no nah, I, I don't i don't think it's going to work out right they just give up on them right well keep on selling buddy because i want that at a cheaper price yeah but you you speak about being active and i think that's part of it as well right i mean the volatility creates fear as we said fear can often lead to inaction right we're paralyzed as investors so if you're paralyzed, clearly you can't take advantage of what we've just been talking about, right? The pricing opportunities, the mispricing opportunities mm-hmm. when you face volatility. So, so being active, being nimble, right? Accept that you can put your money anywhere in any asset class at any time and find and seek out those, those good opportunities. That's the, that's the advantage. Here, here's where I think people need to be aware of. Now that we are in October, yes, we are looking at the remainder of this year, going into an election in the United States, and then we're now looking out at 2021. Interest rates in fixed income, in bonds, let's even use GICs, yep. are sub 1%, yes. below 1%. Yes. The good old days of getting high interest in a fixed income like a GIC, you can live off the interest, those days are gone. Yes. What has happened now is they're pushing people who are approaching or living in retirement up the risk spectrum, forcing them to take on more risk, stocks, real estate, gold, whatever. And here comes the problem. Mm -hmm. They're going to be so concentrated in certain areas, like the stock market, that they're going to have permanent capital destruction. That when the volatility hits, because you're putting people in an asset class that they have no choice to be there, they have to accept the volatility. And when they don't accept that volatility, there's going to be some errors made there. Yes, agreed. 
And so, you know, we talk about this often. If you're going to be in the stock market, in the equities, there's a systemic risk called volatility. You, if you're going to be there, you have to accept that things are going to move around. So, like the, the, the daily and weekly trading and price action can be quite extreme. So I did, I did a quick analysis. If you're 60% in the stock market, 40% in the bond market. Mm -hmm. And if we have the same as we did in the pandemic, that the markets fell 35%, you will lose... In, the sh in that period of time, mm -hmm. a 20% drop because you allocate 60% stock market, that fell 35%. Mm -hmm. And I assume the fixed income world did nothing. No gain, no loss. Okay. You're down 20%. If you tell a person you've got a million, two million, three million dollars, and you're going to lose 200, up to $600,000. In three weeks or a month. At any point in time. <laughs> right, but in this case. In this case, it right, was a very sharp, quick, right? How do you feel and watch the reaction? Right. Do we think it's going to be easier going forward with low interest rates? It's going to be tougher. Right. That's why the five-pillar investment approach that we take has been built. So you don't have to put all your eggs in the equity market. Right. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I feel bad for individuals who have lost money up until this year, like right. from January till now. Right. When we've done double-digit returns for our clients... How the heck do you lose money in a market like this when this was, to me, this was fantastic for us. We did a great job at, at the management of it, but it was, it was right there in black and white on our screen saying, right. buy me, please. Right. And why other advisors or individual investors didn't seize that opportunity, I have no idea. Well, I'm, I'm going to suggest <clears throat> perhaps a little bit uh, more lenient on this than you are because I think, <laughs> you know, I, I understand the psychological side of what's, what's happened, but the structure and the discipline also protects people, right? So we talk about five pillars, my friend, but I think I want to talk more uh, just as much about um, uh, the structure and the discipline. So don't have, you talk about the growth portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Correct. If you need income. In retirement, don't don't have income exposed to equity markets. This is why we always talk about: are, is is a dividend, a, a, a stock that pays a dividend, is that part of the in, income bucket? Absolutely not, because of the volatility and the fear it creates, the potential to cut that dividend. Right. So structure and discipline become Absolutely. really important of taking advantage of the opportunity of volatility in time. So let's talk about how you have structure and discipline at our webinar. Yep. How do you bulletproof your retirement? We're going to discuss that Tuesday, October 20th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to go online to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Okay, stick around after the break because we want to make some sense of what actually has just happened through the pandemic and where we are today. And then we're going to talk about how to take advantage of it going forward. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Okay, Faisal, we got um, we're we're getting towards the end of the year here. We're getting we're creeping up on this election fast. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's gone on with the pandemic. We've got a lot to cover here. A lot to cover. Yeah. And and we need to kind of make sense of all of this, not just what's happening in the markets, but what could potentially happen just a couple of weeks away with the election. No, that's right. That's right. And so we have to bring our chief investment strategist from Manulife Investment Management. We got Philip Peterson on here. Philip, welcome back to the show. Gentlemen, thank you for having me back on. Well, as we like, uh, we like to touch base quarterly, Philip. I think we're going to start with a bit of a recap because I think we should um, we take a, just a bit of a stroll down memory lane uh, for 2020 um, and build sort of the foundation of what we're going to talk about going forward from this point. So maybe just give us a, a recap on 2020 so far uh, and where we are today. 
certainly. Well, 2020 has been, I think, uh, the epitome of a roller coaster ride. Started off the year strongly in January and February. The markets were up. Uh, and then we hit, I would say, the uh, peak panic in terms of, of the coronavirus and the global pandemic, um, where we saw a very sharp bear market between February 19th and March 23rd, took the S&P 500 down by 35%, as well as other markets around the world all fell kind of a, in lockstep with it. And since then, we have seen what I would describe as, as somewhat of an unprecedented recovery, uh, both in the markets as well as you know the areas of the economy that matter to the markets. And this is a real differentiation because you can look at the broad economies in Canada, U.S., and around the world and say, yeah, you know, the growth rates are probably sluggish, but we are seeing some improvement. But when you narrow in on the areas of the economies in Canada, the United States, and other areas on what matters to the stock markets, the equity markets, this is where we're seeing strength. Uh, and so that's in housing, that's in manufacturing, that's in retail sales. And this is why the markets have recovered as strongly as they have. That takes us to where we are today. So we're in the middle of October right now. We're seeing some volatility uh, in the markets. We've had volatility in September. September was a down month, which is very typical. Uh, and we're leading into volatility uh, ahead of the U.S. election, which uh, is is going to be um, likely contested. Uh, the, the campaign has been quite contentious, uh, and I think it's going to continue to contribute to volatility. But you know, our message is look through that. So looking through that, let's talk about how you were positioned in a portfolio. Let's talk about the growth side of a portfolio at the beginning of the year, what changes you made through the pandemic, and what are, what are the adjustments? Because you and I had a conversation about what you're doing now going forward, and there's a nice little unique piece that you just added into the portfolio that I think we can spend a couple seconds on that. Certainly. At the beginning of the year, we were a little bit more cautious. Uh, we had some weakness in the overall uh, U.S. And, and Canadian economies. Uh, we were getting closer to a recession, not that we were calling a recession for this year or that we were predicting the pandemic, but there were signs that you know, there was perhaps a little bit more risk in equity market returns. So we were more defensive. We were 50% uh, equity, 50% fixed income or underweight equity uh, in our model portfolio. The pandemic came, brought the bear market with it, brought the recession with it. Uh, as at the end of March, then again, the end of June and the end of September, we've been increasing our equity weight. And that equity weight has been going up with our confidence. Uh, March, there was a lot that was uncertain. You know, how long the pandemic would go on for, how long the economic lockdowns would go on for. By the end of June, had a little bit more clarity. Uh, as at the end of September, much more clarity and we're actually headed or, or we have started, we would argue, a new economic cycle, at least uh, or a continuation of the prior growth cycle. Um, and our outlook over the next 12 months is, is more optimistic than it's been in the last six. Uh, and the area that we think is, is quite attractive is uh, or, or would be lumped in under the emerging markets. Um, the majority of the emerging markets are in Asia. They're more Asian economic, uh, Asian economies or Asian focus. This is China, it's Taiwan, South Korea, Hong Kong, so on. What we're seeing there is a, a complete recovery from the COVID lockdowns and a resumption of growth faster than we're seeing in North America, faster than we're seeing in Europe, when at a, we're at a time where their equity markets are also cheaper and we're likely to see a resumption of earnings growth 
faster than we can get in the Western world as well. So we like the emerging markets at this point. So, Philip, let's break it down for a individual transitioning to or living in retirement, looking at their growth bucket, their growth side of their portfolio. You mentioned 65% in equity, 35% fixed income. Break down for me, where should they be investing in, in each of those, those buckets? Certainly. The majority of the equity position that we believe is, is uh, attractive is in the global space. So that would be ex-Canada. So that's U.S., international, and the emerging markets. Our breakdown is, is this uh, 30% U.S., 20% developed market international, 5% emerging market, with 10% in Canada. So ten, Canada, we think, is a, a, a relative underweight. Uh, we think Canada is going to perform, deliver a positive return, but it's probably going to lag the global markets, as we've seen through this recovery. Um, so when you look at the, that other 55% uh, of the portfolio, it is much more global in nature. Uh, and I would say somewhat equally balanced between the U.S. and the rest of the world. So, Philip, let me just jump in. Your two questions I'm going to really throw out to you because we only have a couple minutes before we have to go to commercial break. Number one, fixed income, 35% of your portfolio is in there. I, last time I checked, we were at 0.7% for a 10-year U.S. Treasury. How the heck are you going to make money in that side? And the second one, there's a second wave coming. Why would we want to be heavily in the equity market now than we were, let's say, six months ago with the second wave coming? Shouldn't we harbor some cash and wait for this thing to come through? What are, what are your thoughts about those two? So let me talk about the second wave first. What we're seeing as a result of the second wave, and you're absolutely right. You know, and in fact, we could even see a third wave uh, come, come wintertime. Um, now, what we're seeing with the second wave, though, is a real reluctance by economies around the world to completely shut down. Uh, so we, what we went through in March and April was a complete shutdown of economies, manufacturing, the malls, restaurants, everything like that. What we're seeing now is much more of a targeted approach to containment of the spread of, of uh, this coronavirus. Uh, and so we've, we've learned from March and April that perhaps a complete economic shutdown isn't necessary and maybe not affordable. The treatment uh, to, to COVID is much better than what it was before. Hospitalization rates are lower than what they were before. Death rates are lower than what they were before. So, you know, do we, th- there's always the risk that we could see a complete shutdown, but we, what we're hearing from governments and what we've seen over the course of the summer is there's a real reluctance to do so. So that's why we think the areas of the economy that are important to the stock market retail sales, manufacturing, housing, are still going to advance. To your other question on fixed income, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm not going to make money on a 10-year Government of Canada bond that's paying me one half of 1%. I'm not going to make money on a 10-year U.S. Treasury that's paying me three quarters of 1%. Uh, the great thing about fixed income is there's a whole universe of bonds that we can choose from. At this stage of where we are in the cycle, I don't want to own long-duration government bonds, like longer-dated uh, maturity government bonds, because typically we tend to see interest rates move up with longer-duration bonds when you're in the early stages of an economic recovery. That's where we are today. Uh, the Fed, the Federal Reserve in the United States, Bank of Canada here, both want to see higher inflation. I think with that higher inflation is going to come higher interest rates, which are bad for bonds. Uh, so... What we think a better alternative is, is within the corporate bond space, high-yield corporate bonds, investment-grade corporate bonds, as well as emerging market debt, whether it be sovereign debt or corporate debt in emerging markets. 
what you're getting is higher interest rates, less interest rate sensitivity overall. Um, and so, and we think at this point, less credit risk. We think there's greater risk that interest rates are going to go up and bond prices are going to fall at the government level than there is that we're going to see a wave of defaults coming, especially given what the central banks have done to support the bond markets. Okay, uh, let's let's cut it there. Uh, when we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the election and the you know what's going to happen if there's a change in power in the United States. But before we get there, Faisal, we've got we got to make sense of these changes and how to make sure people can plan long term, regardless of what we're facing for their for their needs, their lifestyle needs in retirement. We're doing that at our upcoming seminar. How do you have a, a, a investment strategy that's made? in every economic cycle. We're going to talk about that with our solution on Tuesday, October 20th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Okay. Is a Democratic win in the U.S. election going to destroy your retirement? Well, let's talk about that after the break. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR, and we're joined by Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist at Manulife Investment Management. Now, um, Philip, of course, we just talked a little bit about where where we have come, like what we've come through in 2020, where we are today. Let's get to this big sort of uh, scary concern about the U.S. It's election. The elephant in the room. That's right. Uh, Faisal and I have had lots of conversation, lots of questions over the preceding month for sure about... What's going to happen here if there's a change of power? Is a Democratic win mean the end of U.S. equity markets? You know, what's going on here? Give us your perspective on on the U.S. election, and let's talk through some of the out, uh, potential outcomes. Well, we talk about this every four years. Every four years, we, we end up in this conversation uh, with clients and advisors alike on what will a change in power mean for the markets? Uh, and we've done a lot of work on this. I've been in this business over 25 years. I've, I've lived through a number of elections and, and spent countless hours with uh, either conducting my own research on it or listening to others that have been trying to break down policy and gather some type of edge on where the markets could go as a result. Uh, and I'll tell you this, my experience is that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Um, we've seen markets perform in any type of political environment in the United States and Canada. Um, and counter to what a lot of people think when, when they sit there, some people might think that the Democrats, all they want to do is raise taxes and increase socialism, and this has to be bad for the economy. Historically, Democrats have enjoyed stronger returns than Republicans. But, but that shouldn't mean that we should only want Democrats in, in power, because guess what? Republicans enjoy positive markets as well to a little lesser extent to, than, than Democrats going back to 1945. But you know, our message to, to individuals is that, look, regardless of the political environment, markets tend to move higher. And markets move higher because good companies find a way to succeed and grow their profits in, in any environment. Um, now, we can talk about the policies. So let's, we can go a little bit deeper into the policies of each of the two candidates. Uh, if we look at infrastructure, well, here's something interesting. Both candidates are proposing a trillion dollar infrastructure spend. Biden wants to spend it on renewable energy. Trump wants to spend it on, on roads and bridges. Regardless, spending a trillion dollars in the U.S. economy is going to be a positive. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, obviously some sectors will do better than others. Um, but at the end of the day, it's good for the overall marketplace. 
we can talk about uh, taxes. You know, some people are saying, well, Biden wants to just raise corporate taxes. Yes, and uh, yes, he does. But, you know, he wants to raise them to a level that, you know, becomes realistic for the U.S. government. The U.S. government couldn't afford the tax cuts that they just put through. It pushed them into a trillion dollar deficit, going from 32 percent corporate tax rate down to 21. Um, Biden doesn't want to go back to 32. He wants to go to 28. Now, will this happen? I don't believe that this would happen at all in the first year of his term if he wins. Um, No one is going to want to raise taxes at the early stages of an economic recovery. If anything, what we're going to see is continued fiscal stimulus for the markets. Uh, And and even with that in mind, just because let's assume that the Democrats sweep the White House, Senate and Congress, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get through all the policy that you want. Just because you have uh, an overwhelming majority in each of, of the houses you still have to negotiate. You're not necessarily one united party. So right. some people debate about this. You know, we could see a massive swing to the left. I don't, I don't particularly believe that or buy into that. Um, and, and don't take to heart what is said on the campaign trail. We often say it's like Vegas. What's said on the campaign trail stays on the campaign trail. <laughs> let, me, let me jump in there in regards to what we're hearing on the extreme levels. And I think this is where money managers... CIOs or chief investment officers out there, chief investment strategists out there, have to look at the outlying opportunities or positions out there. And one outlying position out there, although we all, the three of us may agree is low probability, but it's on the table that if there is a democratic sweep or a, or a Biden win, socialism is just around the corner. And everybody's going to be losing their wealth because of it. Let's go down the path that, that that thesis is somewhat accurate, that we are going to see more of a negative impact to the economy. What does somebody do with their portfolio when it comes to that thesis? Well, first, uh, we, I think we draw the wrong conclusion, assuming that a, if, if we did see a complete turn to a socialist government, that it would be bad for the economy. It wouldn't necessarily be bad for the economy, but there are consequences to it. The consequences would be this. They have to find a way to raise the money to spend you know, all this money, mm-hmm. and likely the way they would do it is increased debt. Okay. Now, there's a consequence to increased debt. Now, uh, it, it would likely be higher interest rates and a weaker U.S. dollar. What If we saw a turn in that direction, all that does for me is increase my resolve on owning stocks. Why? Because in an environment where interest rates are going higher because of a falling U.S. dollar and higher inflation, I want to own real assets. I want to own companies that have pricing power that can increase their prices at, at, at least the rate of inflation to keep up with inflation, to raise their dividends, keep their earnings growing um, at the same rate as, as uh, or better than, than inflation. So keep the, the real rate of growth constant. Um, and preserve my wealth. So the thought that if if we saw a turn in the U.S. to go socialist, that I should dump my stocks, it's actually the opposite. You want to own more because that is the way that you're going to preserve your purchasing power and preserve your wealth in the, going forward. This is a big fundamental belief, Dave, that, that people have to understand that good quality companies, good financials of that company, and the understanding of how management works of that company and how they can actually weather every type of economic condition that's thrown at them over the years 
You want to be part of that. Unfortunately, the markets is what people talk about. And let's just use basic indexes, S&P 500, TSX. This is a shift. And, and Philip, do you think this is, this is a shift from going to from passive management of just buying an exchange-traded fund on an index to now active management with all these different potential scenarios coming out? I think it is, and I also think there are other reasons why we would want to consider active uh, over the course of the next couple of years at least. Um, but to your point, yes, because companies with good management uh, and, and a successful track record can navigate different environments um, and shift the business accordingly to ensure future profitability. And there's a broader issue here, too. I mean, we're talking about individual companies here, Faisal, but it's, it's the same for an investor, and I think people have to keep an eye on that. If there was a shift in a political policy or philosophy in any given country, you could move your money out of that country. You can allocate it elsewhere. You can find other companies to invest in. And I think, I think maybe that's the underlying message that we're giving here. There's a number of possibilities that are potential outcomes. Um, you have to narrow down those possibilities of where you think the winners and the losers are. So let's, let's go through your theory just as an example. <clears throat> if the American government was going to take over every company and make it a national corporation. Right. You could just move your money out of those companies and you move them somewhere else in the world. You could. That's assuming those companies don't move themselves, right? So this, this is the thing, and, and the headlines become so polarizing, and I think, think of the conversations we've had this week. We were yeah. talking about that before going on air. It becomes so polarizing that we get trapped in these extremes, right? You get trapped in these emotional extremes. And the fact is, when you look at the data, as Philip does on a regular basis, uh, and you break down the data, the data tells us something very different, right? It, it strips away that emotion. And there's so many things that can be done. It's important to stay nimble as an investor so that you could take advantage and or protect depending on what you're trying to do. Philip, one last question before we have to go to commercial break. With all this volatility, one thing that you and I've talked about time and time again is rebalancing your portfolio. Uh, there's been lots of research done that you should just do it once a year given the type of volatility we're experiencing this year and potentially going into the next year as well. How frequently do you, should you be rebalancing your portfolio? That's a great question. And, you know, I've, I've done work on that where we look at rebalancing quarterly, semi-annually, or annually. And, and yeah, actually, from uh, the long-term perspective, uh, rebalancing annually is all you really need to do. Um, however, what we would suggest is that when we see big market moves, when we see big market moves like we had uh, at the end of March, um, or if you get corrections, we didn't quite get one in September, but let's say we saw the market down by more than 10%. Um, that's a good opportunity to rebalance, uh, rebalance into equities. Likewise, if equities move up, like just rip ahead, mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden your asset allocation isn't 60-40, but it becomes 70-30, well, you're taking on perhaps more equity risk than you normally would. So taking profits and shifting the, that, some of that equity weight back into fixed income is a prudent strategy to hold on to those gains and, and reduce the overall risk in portfolios. So I agree with you. I think once a year is, is you know, what you reasonably could get away with. Mm -hmm. um, but if you take advantage of the volatility as it comes by, historically, that's, that's a great way to, to reload into equities. We often talk about you know, um, oh, this is a good buying opportunity. But well, what if I'm fully invested? I don't have any cash sitting on the sidelines. What do I do? Well, do you have fixed income? Yes. 
rebalance into right. equities to, to bring back to your optimal asset allocation weight. There's always a relative trade to do. We have to leave it there, Philip. Thanks again for your time. My great pleasure. Thank you. We're joined by Philip Peterson, Chief Investment Strategist at Manulife Investment Management. My friend, let's put this into English now in our upcoming seminar. In English. In English. Five-pillar investment strategy. Yep. How to maximize return, minimize risk. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, October 20th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, let's talk about how to create a supersized TFSA after the break. Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to More Than Money. You've got Dave and Faisal here. Um, I had a bit of a cheeky tease um, on the last segment about creating a supersized TFSA. You can get that with your Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, you probably Just can. supersize it. Be on the menu, that's right. <laughs> it <laughs> is on the menu. It is on the menu. It's not on a McDonald's menu, right? but it's an opportunity for individuals and families who have accumulated wealth to really supersize an investment strategy that's tax-free. Well, and let's talk about this, okay, because there's, there's uh, lots of concern. We have lots of conversations with people, and there's a ton of fear around what might be coming. So if we're issuing all this debt, the taxes have to go higher, right? Who are they going to tax? What are they going to tax? All of these different things are a concern. Now, you have to deal with those policies as they become, you know, uh, law, but the fact of the matter is there are things that you can do right now for, for families that have, let's call it, more than what they're going to need. Yep. Okay? And they're going to transition wealth to the kids or charity or whatever beneficiary, beneficiaries they choose. And um, so the question is how can we take a portion of the assets that is dedicated for that and how can we protect it against tax today? How do we protect it against tax on the transition? Right? And how do we get a decent return in a low interest rate environment without taking a ton of risk with it, right? You're singing, you know, some songs I love to hear. Yeah. So, so let's talk about about a, um, a strategy that I've been personally doing a ton of work around. I mean, we as a team have been yeah. doing it, but but you've been leading it. Yeah, yeah I've been really passionate uh, about this mm-hmm. uh, and thinking about this, and it involves a really ugly, dirty word: insurance. Dun dun dun. dun. Insurance. Say it again. No. <laughs> Enough people have turned off the radio. <laughs> okay, listen, and, and I say that because it's, it's just a funny reaction we get with people. But when we switch, most people buy insurance throughout their life, knowing, hoping that they are going to waste their money. Yeah. I put in place term life insurance in the event that something happens to me that my family will be taken care of. Yeah, and I hope I never pay it. I out. hope I never have to use it. Okay, so it's an expense. People see it as an expense. Correct. Something goes out and I never see a return on that. But insurance doesn't have to be used that way. Insurance can be used as an alternative asset class. Amen. Yep. So let's redefine that. Um, <clears throat> what the heck is an alternative asset class? Well, first of all, it has to give us a payback, Right. If we're going to invest in something, we need a return on that investment. Yeah, so we well, how can we do that with insurance? Mm-hmm. So many families take advantage of insurance in this respect, that they will, they will fund a life insurance policy on themselves or jointly on their, uh, themselves and their spouse. And they will make uh, payments into that or investments into that insurance policy. We call that a premium. And because it's a permanent life insurance policy... Okay, there will come a day when that policy pays out, and that day is when you or you and your spouse are gone. Mm-hmm. So from an investment perspective, 
couple of math geeks like us, what we do is we sit down and we do some we do some work on this. And we say, okay, if we're going to put this much money into an insurance policy and I'm going to get X amount of dollars out when that D-Day comes, yep. what is the return on that investment going to be? So we call that the internal rate of return. Right on. And now, Can I just <clears throat> jump in there really quickly? There's mm-hmm. two parts that people have to understand when it comes to this program, this insurance, or the supersizing of a tax-free strategy. Number one, the premiums that you're paying into are generally paid with after-tax dollars. Correct. The money that gets paid out upon the death of the policyholder is tax-free. Correct. Tax-exempt, right? Tax-exempt. So that internal rate of return that we're speaking of is an after-tax rate of return. Mm -hmm. And we have seen... I get. You, I want you to share this number with people. Well, let me give you a range. I think this is important because on an on an after tax basis, you know we're seeing numbers between call it four to six and a half seven percent after tax. Now let's try to put that in perspective because the things that you would invest in in a non registered account attract or a tax. TSSA. Well, in, in particularly non registered though, it, it attracts tax. It, a, a dividend attracts tax. A correct. capital gain attracts tax. Interest. Okay. Correct. So if you, if you, depending on what tax bracket you're in, take a 42% tax bracket. Gosh, take 48% if it's upon oh, debt. High, okay? high yep. So let's just do simple math. If I'm getting a 4 or a 5%, forget 6 and 7, 4 and 5% after tax rate of return from an estate or legacy transition perspective, double it. Yeah. I need a pre-tax rate of return of 8 to 10%. 8 to 10% in order to give me the same rate of return. Now- I don't know about you, man, but last time I looked at enure uh, government bonds paying between a half and seven tenths of one percent compounded right. you annually. You can't find that guaranteed anywhere. It's crazy. And so this is an opportunity for many Canadians to pass on wealth to the next generation and save tax in multiple formats. Correct. Number one, you're saving tax upon the money being passed on to the beneficiaries of that insurance policy. But here's the interesting thing: while you're investing and you do not have your money in this insurance strategy, you're paying tax for every dollar of money you make off that. So you're paying tax now, and then when it gets transitioned to the next generation or to the beneficiaries of your choice, it gets taxed again. Right. And the whole time, you're just paying the government tax. Right. You can have the same or better rate of return right. and not pay tax. Yes. Hence the comment of supersized Tax-free yep. savings That's account. That's correct. That's right. Now, this is not an actual tax-free savings account. Correct. We're just using that as an example yep. or a name. It's really supersizing tax-free. Right. And listen, this isn't appropriate for every family and everybody, right? So, But this is an area uh, you know, I wanted to raise. Again, I've, I've been doing a lot of work on this recently. I want to raise it as an educational opportunity. People, Absolutely. So, so first of all, how do you know if you've got money that's going to transition? Do a financial plan. Solve for that equation. Find out what the composition of your assets are going to be at life expectancy. So what, that- One of the biggest concerns that many Canadians have is I want to make sure I leave something behind right. for the next generation. Right. It may not be an exact dollar amount, but I want to leave something behind. Right. Well, if you have an opportunity to make 8 to 10% on a pre-tax basis that you can pass on to the next generation or to the beneficiaries of your choice, this is something you need to look at. Well, and it's not even if I want to. In many cases, families are going to. I, yeah, yeah I, they're I, going to. You're, you're simply going to be transitioning. It's going to happen. That's yeah. right. And so is it, is it appropriate? So all I want to encourage people um, is, to, is to, number one, 
educate yourself about all of the options, right? That's an important part of our process. We're taking clients through this and we're saying, this is an opportunity for you. Whether somebody chooses this as part of a strategy or something else, they need to be educated about the opportunity. I'm going to put you on the spot here, buddy. We okay. haven't talked about this, but I'm going to put you on the spot. If you're listening to this segment and you want more information, reach out to us by going to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. Contact us. We will set up a session where you can get more information on this and you can ask Dave or myself or any of our other experts we're going to bring on directly to you so you can you can get more information. This I think this sure. is very important. This one, I, okay? Yeah. So feel free go to morethanmoneyradio.com, hit the contact us section, reach out and say I want to listen to I want I want a session with you about about this transitioning this supersized TFSA. Yeah. Just put that in the in the comment section and we'll be we'll be reaching out to you and set something up so we can educate you and give you more information on. Perfect. I think that's important. Um, part of our job that we've said couple years ago, our job is to educate and inform everyone that we can. And so this is one way that we can educate and inform millions of Canadians. Right. There is another way that we, we want to help and, and educate individuals. And that, that way is talking about the risks of transitioning to retirement. Yes. How do you bulletproof your retirement so you can have income and growth and make sure your health care is taken care of and passing on money to the next generation and reducing tax along the way. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, October 20th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. and I look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Basil Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Basil Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.